Good morning. This morning we're continuing our Advent series on comfort and joy. And we've been looking at various passages in the book of Isaiah and the early part of Matthew's Gospel. And today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 35. In my Bible that's entitled The Joy of the Redeemed. But before we dive in to that passage, for which you will need your Bible, we need to see it in the context of God's overall plan of salvation. When I was in Sunday school, I learned a song which I've promised I'm not going to sing. The first verse of which goes like this. God has given us a book full of stories. It was made for his people of old. It begins with the tale of a garden and it ends with a city of gold. And in between that <clears throat> story at the beginning of Genesis of the Garden of Eden and the picture in Revelation of a city of gold, the people of God are on a journey. And it's a journey that has ups and downs, highs and lows, good times and bad times, times of peace, times of war, and times of wilderness and times of refreshing. And each one of us is also on a journey. We're on a journey from where we are now to where God ultimately wants us to be as his people, united with him as the bride of Christ in the future heaven and earth that he will make new. So we're all on that journey. And here we come to Isaiah chapter 35 and the prophecy that is there. When we look at prophecy, as Dan reminded us a few weeks ago, we need to see that it often has more than one application. And by that I mean it can apply in the immediate, in the short-term future and in the long-term future. And it can have both a literal and a spiritual relevance. And that's the case with the passage before us today. <clears throat> I'm going to split this up into two sections. The first seven verses are really looking at the restoration of the land and then verses 8 to 10 are talk about a highway of holiness. <clears throat> so let's look first of all at verses 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom, like the crocus it will burst into bloom, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. <clears throat> After the, the judgment on the nations, which is described in the previous chapter, in chapter 34, God promises to the people of Israel a beautiful restoration. <clears throat> he says the land will blossom abundantly and will rejoice. Now this was true in the immediate, in the sense that Judah was restored after the invasion of the Assyrians. The Assyrians had taken the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, into exile and had now, now threatening to do the same thing to the people of Judah. And the Assyrians attack Judah <clears throat> and Judah is spared from that attack. And this is a picture of God in the short term turning back the attack of the enemy. And you can see that in the next chapters, in chapter 36 and chapter 37. 
But this restoration was also true in the more medium term, in the sense that in modern day Israel has turned what was a wilderness and a wasteland into productive farms. And it's made the desert blossom as a rose. It's now, it's now fruitful. I mean, Israel is, is a very fertile country now. And it will be true as well in the ultimate fulfilment of this prophecy, when God restores the ecology of the world after the end of the Great Tribulation and the Battle of Armageddon. Let's listen to these words from the book of Romans, chapter 8. And I'm reading from verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. <clears throat> nature itself is waiting for the transformation that will come when Messiah reigns and believers are glorified. I move on to verses 3 and 4, where Isaiah states this, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Opposition and hardship and struggle and in some ways what we've been experiencing with this pandemic and the lockdowns and the restriction on normal life. They can tempt us to give up, but the exhortation here is to keep going, to hold on to God's promises and be strong. In his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to his good purpose. It's a partnership. We need to do our bit and God promises to do his bit. This verse in Isaiah of strengthening the feeble hands and the weak knees is referred to in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and that's in the passage where the writer is exhorting us to see that because God loves us so fully and so dearly that there are times when he allows certain things to happen in our lives, things that are uncomfortable, things that are painful, things that are difficult, with the purpose of developing us and training us and purifying us and making us more effective. He's saying when those times come, strengthen your feeble hands, strengthen your weakness, don't give up, don't give in to the pressures around you, but believe in the purposes and the promises of God. He is for you. And as Isaiah goes on to say, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. He will come. He will come and save. 
Now that's an exhortation for us as individuals to think about. But I think it's an exhortation for us to be aware of those around us. Are you aware of brothers and sisters, other Christians who are, who are struggling at this time, who are finding it difficult to make sense of their faith and what God is doing in the midst of what we're experiencing? If you know of others who are struggling, then take it upon yourself to offer them a message of encouragement, offer, offer them a word of hope, remind them that the promises of God are yes and amen, that he's faithful to all that he says that he will do, that he is working good in us. Exhort and encourage one another as you see the opportunity. And then in Isaiah we move on to verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The sick and the diseased are healed when the kingdom of God comes. <clears throat> when God's salvation comes, miraculous power comes with it. It's a miracle for blind people to see and for deaf people to hear and for the lame to run and for the mute to speak. But when he comes and saves, he does it with miraculous power. You might remember when John the Baptist was in prison in Matthew chapter 11 and he's maybe unsurprisingly starting to have a few doubts about whether Jesus really is the Messiah that John said that he was. <clears throat> John sent his disciples to Jesus that asked, them a, asked him a question, are you the Messiah? Jesus replied, <clears throat> go and tell John the things which you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The sick and the diseased are healed when the kingdom of God comes. <clears throat> Moving on. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. What we're seeing here is that when the kingdom of God comes, abundance replaces lack. When God's salvation comes, miraculous provision comes with it. What was dry and barren before becomes well watered and fruitful. When we think of streams in the desert. Jesus says in John chapter 7 and verse 38, he says, he who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. 
And if we've tasted the Spirit of God, if we've come to know Jesus in a personal way and invited the Spirit of God to move in us and to fill us, we will know those rivers of living water bubbling up within us unto eternal life. <clears throat> and then as we move on to the last few verses <clears throat> of this chapter, we're looking at the highway of holiness. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. And there's a footnote in my Bible that says that the simple will not stray from it. <clears throat> Today we take good roads for granted. But in the ancient world, a good road, a highway, was an amazing blessing for travel, for progress, for business. Isaiah is announcing that in the ministry of the Messiah, there will be a wonderful highway, a road, a road that's known as the highway of holiness. This is a quote from the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. He says this, engineering has done much to tunnel mountains and to bridge abysses, but the greatest triumph of engineering is that which made a way from sin to holiness, from death to life, from condemnation to perfection. Who could make a road over the mountains of our sins? But Almighty God, none but the Lord of love would have wished it. None but the God of wisdom could have devised it. And none but the God of power could have carried it out. Isaiah goes on to say, the unclean will not journey on it. This highway is not for everyone. It's like there's a, it's like there's a, there's a toll booth at the beginning of this highway or motorway and you have to pay the price to get onto it. You can't make it on there by paying your own way. You're only allowed on to the highway if you're cleansed by the great work <clears throat> of the Messiah. Jesus himself has paid the price. He's paid the, he's paid the toll money to allow us to get on to that motorway of holiness. Jesus is the only way onto that highway. Let me go on. He says that there's a, the highway of holiness is a safe highway. It says no lion shall be there. As we stay on this highway of holiness, we're protected from the attacks of the lion. Peter says in his epistle, though your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, the lion has never yet devoured anyone who stayed on the road. The promise is sure, no lion will be there. No lion will be on that road. 
if you stay on that, it's like the road is <clears throat> it's protected so that everywhere where the enemy seeks to attack and to bring harm, the ray of holiness is protected as we as we live under the power of the shed blood of Jesus, we are protected from the attacks of the evil one. And then in verse 10, the travellers, who is it who travels on this highway of holiness? This verse again is a verse that I learnt as a, a chorus, probably when I was at university, therefore, the redeemed of the Lord will return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The ransomed of the Lord will return to Zion with singing. The people on the road are those who've been ransomed, those who've been redeemed, those for whom the price of their sin has been paid. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you've never made that choice to invite Jesus into your life to take away your sin and set you free and invite you to come and start on this journey of holiness. If that's you, then today is an opportunity for you to recognise that your life has fallen short, continues to fall short. However hard you try, you can't live up to God's standards. But he has provided a way where that sin, where that failure can be taken away and you can be restored and made right with him and invited to join other travellers on this highway of holiness. All you need to do is to confess your sin, to recognise that he died to save you and to set you free and invite him to be Lord of your life. That's a simple step. And if you do it, God will welcome you. His peace will overwhelm you and God will welcome you onto this highway. And when you do, you'll join other, other pilgrims, other passengers, other travellers on this journey. People who are travelling to Zion. Zion is the great city of God. For the Israelites, it was a picture of Jerusalem being restored. For the people of God today, it's a picture of what God is doing. It's where God dwells, where he lives, where he's always going to live for eternity and invites us to work our way along that road with singing then it's a, it's a joyful thing. We don't, we don't look morosely and think, oh, it's such a long walk. Don't enjoy this. It's an exciting, joyful journey. We will, we will go with joy. <clears throat> the ransomed of the Lord will travel with joy, with singing unto Zion. An everlasting joy will be upon their heads and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now here's the, here's the bit or, or another bit of where that prophecy of the coming of Jesus is both now and future. We can, we can start to know that joy and that gladness and the 
healing of the blind and the lame and the deaf and the freedom from sin and sorrow. We can know that in part now, but we can know that more fully in the future when the kingdom finally comes. When we arrive there, according to Revelation 21 and verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Our journey has a destination and our destination is with Jesus at the right hand of God for eternity. Using the pictures of this chapter, it's as if we come to God barren, dry, blind, deaf, weak and crippled. Then the miraculous power of God and of Jesus comes to change us. It comes to heal us. He comes to provide for us. But that's not the end of God's work. He then goes on to make this highway of holiness that the transformed man or woman can walk on. It's a highway that would be helpful on a journey for someone who was still barren and dry and deaf and blind and weak and crippled. But when the highway is provided for those who've been saved and healed and restored and provided for as we are in Jesus, the blessing is all the more amazing. Surely a reason for comfort and joy. Amen.